0: hello welcome to the Delta my name is Nicholas linky typically I'm joined by my wife Christina linky and we have a conversation about politics as it relates to our family particularly uh, education since we're both involved in that in one way or another but actually today um when I'm recording this I'm on the road for my job which is also deeply embedded in conversations about improving education in the heartland. Uh, I took a position after I left the classroom to be able to try to find other ways to help students not only be more successful in school and feel more engaged in the school system, but to look at science in a different way and hopefully become more engaged. One of those projects I'm looking at right now is actually using practices of engineering to solve problems within their schools and communities so that they can be agents of change. And the things these students do under the guidance of their teachers for their schools, for their communities, is truly inspiring. I'm honestly in awe and deeply (laughs) encouraged. I'm re-established in my own hope that there is something that we can do. To turn it all around, if we put our trust in the students to be able to make sure that there is a world that they still want to exist in the heartland for. The problem is, is that most of the time we have them seek opportunities, other places. They find other places to go so that they can fulfill their success stories and they leave their homes. As Jason Kander has said, that really what we want for our children is to be happy, healthy, safe. But in the heartland, we want them nearby. And the conversation comes down to why do we care about that so much? And it's because other places don't have to worry about their kids leaving because the opportunities are right there. Actually, the adults never tell the kids to go seek those opportunities because they're in their own backyard. But instead, students always feel like they have to leave their homes behind. And these small rural communities, these urban cultural centers, are dwindling, fading, and being consolidated. Now, I have so many personal opinions, and I reveal some of them here uh, in this episode, because really what I wanted to do was talk about how far we've come in the past almost year and a half with the Delta, There was a conversation that Adam and I had. It was the first time he was a guest on any of the Heartland Pod shows themselves, and he was my guest. And he came on under my um, invitation of starting off the Delta on episode 14, which was appropriate because I was on episode 7 of the entire Heartland Pod to kick us all off. The actual thing is, is that the conversation that him and I had is still relevant today like deeply relevant and I just wanted to revisit it and bring up this conversation again to kind of say where are we going from here on with school choice the question is always not what's happening or how it's happening it's why is it happening students are getting ready currently for standardized testing We speak a little bit about that here. And then we talk about it a little bit more as we release an additional part of this on the Patreon, which I also address. But I don't think sometimes that these tests really equate to making change in the world. It is a way for us to assess students for multiple different reasons and multiple different ways to apply numbers to values to see whether or not something is successful as this is a science experiment to prove the worth of these children and really the projects that I'm seeing right now with some of these kids the way that they affect their schools the way that they affect their communities that that is the change that we need to be seeing those are the actual assessments that matter them taking agency and care for their communities and embedding themselves deeply into this world so that they feel like they have the agency and power to change things instead of just answering a multiple choice question to prove to adults that they understand the culture that we've already built, whether it be one way or another. So, I talk about a journal. It was called Hidden Curriculum at the time and it was growing. I've continued that for the past year and a half, and it has now grown into a collection of essays That I'm titling, Hollow Heartland, which has really just come down to a bunch of the lectures that I never got to give my students before I left my classroom to join this new endeavor into all of these rural districts across our heartland. I'm deeply concerned, obviously, that we are hollowing out our own interior of the United States. And I revisit that in multiple different ways in those essays, which I hope to someday make available to everyone so I can finally let them see the light of day and maybe some of my students will get to be able to read what I never got to say before I left. But that is for another time, as I always say. Right now, I just want to share with you the episode where Adam and I talk about Not what is happening, not how it is happening, but always asking the most important question. Why? A few weeks ago, we actually had Adam Summer on the Delta as his first time guest appearance. In that conversation, we talked about failure and how hiding failure from students is not being honest with them and possibly setting them up for failure later on in life. Afterwards, we had another conversation. We decided to do this thing called Two Truths and a Lie, where we let our guard down, speak our truths, and address a lie. In this one, we talked about standardized testing and the true purpose of No Child Left Behind. So we wanted to share a piece of that with you as a Delta episode, but also provide the full conversation for those that are Patreon members. So if you want the rest of our discussion, you'll have to subscribe, where we reveal our hand a little bit. But here is a little taste of, say why again, motherfucker. Alright, so this is what I've really been thinking about. This hidden curriculum is really, to me more of a development over top of quarantine and I started journaling. That's sure. where this is really coming from. Like just to be completely honest with it, whenever I went into quarantine, like I was done and it wasn't just the same fact that I was worried about having COVID and it was one of those things that I was stressed out about where my school was going and all that type stuff. I was looking at it from the standpoint that everything that I thought that I had accomplished was not what I had accomplished. And it was this day of reckoning almost of how not necessarily meaningless of what I would, what I had done, but more along the lines of how little power we all have over top of this situation. And it really kind of struck me whenever I was on there that I didn't know what else to do. So I just started writing. I just started just putting my fingers to the keys and just started driving out the words. And I didn't know I have any idea where it was going to go. And eventually it became this extremely dark, pessimistic viewpoint on a lot of the different critiques that I would have of the world that I'm hoping to develop a little bit in the Delta. But I didn't want it to just be my attitudes of this is how awful it is. And I'm so (laughs) done with this. It was more so along the lines of, I want other people to talk about this. I want to write down what I think. I can put it out there on Glassroom Hive. I can speak my mind and nobody's going to read it because it's like super academic-y. It's kind of just blatant to the point. Every single sentence is thick with understanding that you have to already know what I'm talking about. And it's kind of a journal entry for that. But I really want to know what other people were. Like I wanted to know what Adam thought. I wanted to know what Rachel thought. I wanted to know what Christina thought. I wanted to know what people that I could just talk to about my own feelings when it was really dark and I overthink on my couch. Right. And that's what I really wanted to do. You're in another place with, with your wife Mm -hmm. and what do you see? Like, where do you see this all playing out?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I don't think you're being alarmist either, which is probably an important thing to, to really realize in all of this is that I, I do think to a certain extent I think that some of the democracy is burning, the country is collapsing talk is probably a little bit hyperbolic and, and, and overblown. A lot of people said that in 2016. And the reality is that the, what we have set up in this country, by and large, does function with a, without a ton of outside input. We've seen that. The Trump presidency was a pretty good example of you know even if you put somebody in that office and surround that that somebody with people who will do that bidding of literally a, a literal inside out attempt to destroy the federal government i mean that's really what was happening and i don't i don't even think that that's i don't think i'm overreacting to say that i think that's pretty much what was going on
0: well when you put devos in charge of the department of right. I mean, your intentional purpose. People is- who have
1: said, I don't think this should exist are then put in charge of the thing they said should not exist. It's not a stretch to say that their goal is to dismantle this. And that's not new, right? The Republican Party for decades has been preaching small government, small government, small government, small government. And I've argued for years that essentially what Republicans have been doing in their plan for a long time is to, they get in Right, we've seen the cycle. Right, they get in, they break it, and then they and then they're kicked out for breaking it. And then while Democrats are trying to put it back together, they go, "Why can't you guys put it back together? How come you can't put it back together? How come everything's failing?" Right, and they and they do this outrage politics. It's happening right now. Right, why hasn't Joe Biden solved the border crisis? It's been. Eight months. It's been 10 months. It's been a little less than a year, right? They're doing other shit. COVID's still going on. They got this infrastructure shit going on, right? We just heard people for five years say, America first, America first, America first, America first. This guy pulls the troops out of a foreign country and passes an infrastructure bill. Both of which, by the way, were on the America First agenda, both of which were on uh, Donald Trump's promises made, promises kept list of things that he was going to do. He did both of those things and they go, oh, you know, the sky is falling. Everything's awful. Joe Biden is breaking the government. What's he doing? So that's not a new thing. And they've now really, really laser focused that same effort onto public education. And it's no longer they're not flirting with it anymore. They used to flirt with it. No Child Left Behind was a Trojan horse. It was designed to get us to this point by changing educational standards and saying, the standard of education is now, can a child pass a test that is provided to them at a sufficient level? And if enough kids can, then you get money. And if they don't, then you don't get the money. And so over time, it's going to consolidate schooling and kick out certain areas of schools and shut down public schooling in certain areas. And where did it happen fastest and first underfunded inner city schools? It happened first there. Do you know what population leaves public schooling faster than any other population statistically in America? Can I say it? Yeah. The black population. Absolutely. 100%. They leave public schooling for alternative schooling faster than every other population. Why? Because the standardized tests are racist. They are racist. If you live in the middle of a city and you've never played in a backyard because you don't have one, and the question is about something that's occurring at a barbecue in a backyard, and you've never been to a barbecue in a backyard, You don't even understand the context of the question and you're confused by what you're reading. And it's not a stupidity thing, right? I'm not saying this is not, they're not racist because of inferior intellect of of different groups. They're racist because they're using context that does not fit with a normal everyday experience for the people that are taking the test.
0: Right. So just to put it in another perspective, they were worried about the tests that were being distributed to children, our students. Right. Based on whether or not they were acquainted with the ocean, right? If, if, the, if the students never seen an ocean, then we should focus it on deer, right? So that's what we have. So we have hunting now. That has right. nothing to do if you're only seeing a concrete jungle all the time. Right. You're not exactly. going out hunting right now. Right. That's just not your life. So even positioning the question of this this test isn't fair is still focusing on those. And I don't mean, don't mean to like pit them against one another because a lot of the – as we've talked about, the commonalities between them are far more important than, the, than, no. the, than how they're not alike. But
1: oh, – Well, that's what I was just going to correct it of. It's not just that the tests were racist. They were racist, but it turns out they were racist really because they were classist. Yes. And, 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 and the racism was almost an inadvert, inadvertent portion of it. Um, The classism was on its face because these were tests being written by people who either hadn't experienced or were far enough removed from the experience of lower-class living that they don't – I was 18 years old the first time I saw the ocean, Mm -hmm. okay? And, And only because I had a grandparent who had enough money to take the family Out to Florida. And we didn't spend a week on the ocean. We went to the ocean for an hour one day, right? That was my first exposure to the ocean. That's all I knew about it. And my wife, by the time she and I had been married, had been to the ocean, I don't know, 10 times probably in her childhood and and teens. We had dramatically different experiences with that. And so even though we went to the same high school, lived not very far apart from one another, all of those things, our experience in taking those tests would have been dramatically different.
0: Right. What it comes down to being, in my opinion, just to push it as far as possible, tests are stupid. Right. There's no reason that those are applicable to any lifestyle preference that anybody is going to normally have because what really needs to happen, and and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is my life that I'm embedding my children my children personally my children children and my students future in is that they have problems that they're going to have to fix right they have all these problems that they're going to that we generations before us they just keep getting passed down passed down and by no fault necessarily of everybody being not intentionally passing the buck on but not being able to do anything about it Right. We, we don't have the power to do anything about it. Right. So my my children and my students are going to get dumped with. Here's climate change. Right.
1: Yep.
0: Here's what we're going to see. We're going to keep seeing the variance. Right. We're going to have all this water waste. All these things are. Here you go. Here's your gift of the future. And the thing is, we're going to keep testing them about a world that used to exist. Right. Whether right. We can fit into that world. Right. So all the tests that are written are not just that. And not to harken back on what Rachel says, but I, I love this kind of thing. I don't see it as just being classes either. It is age embedded in these tests. Absolutely. It is old people testing new people for, for the jobs that the new people will never, ever see. They don't exist anymore. And then, and the jobs that they want to do, they're going to have to create, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. going to have to come up how to solve those problems themselves. Yep. So if you give a kid a project and say, for, forget whether or not you're going to answer a, b, c, or d, what I really want you to do is here's a problem the world is facing. Help us fix this problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Help us be able to use all of your collective intelligence between all of these different students and you guys, when we hand over the world to you finally, when we finally are able to do it and everybody else is gone and you get the world, you have something to go off of because we didn't tell you how to test for an old world. We helped you design the new world that you get to take over. That's what school should be. This is just a reminder that the Delta
1: is a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts. Join us every other Wednesday as we grow this show into a reflection of our lives where family, school, life, science, and politics all converge.
0: Check out some of our other shows, including the Heartland Pod, The Fly Overview, High Country, and Let's Have a Chat. Also, you can check out some of our collection of family projects on GlassroomHive.com, like our family YouTube channel called Stink Finks, Nicholas's two-minute lectures on his Hourglass Science channel, and our published books whether it be our children's book, Dharma and Eldon and the Sandwich, or our new adult fiction like the Muiré series. Another way to be transparent about progressive lives in the Midwest, GlassroomHive.com. Now back to our show.
1: And that's probably the lie that we have to address, right, is that, that standardized testing and, and measurements of education matter. It, it's a lie. I mean, it's just a lie. And the truth is that it's not a new lie; it's a lie we've been telling. So, I I, there's a link. I just shared it with you in the Slack so that we can put it on this episode. It's a Philadelphia Inquirer article from 2007. All right, 2007. Let me let me read this this little section really quickly to you. It's about the No Child Left Behind Act. Secretary of Education. Roderick Page, once superintendent of Houston schools who helped elect Bush in 2000. Remember Page? He's the guy who called the National Education Association, the NEA, a major teachers organization. He called them, quote, a terrorist organization. What's he doing these days, says the article? He's now chairman of a consulting firm that helps school districts implement No Child Left Behind. And where did he get to the investment to start his business? From the Florida State Retirement System funded by members of a teachers union affiliated with the NEA. Okay, that's who was starting, running, and implementing No Child Left Behind at the beginning of this thing. And they told us the, d- the design of it was to make sure that we could measure every single student so that we could find the ones who need help and bring them along with everybody else. But all it was, the only thing it was, was a new way to measure how to give money to schools so that eventually and we're there right now it took a generation in one less than a generation they could say schools are failing yeah and that's what they wanted to do the whole time and why why did they want to do that I posit that one of the main drivers behind this has been was and continues to be the first Amendment, the First Amendment, because there are endless cases. Almost every case that involves a school district that makes it to the Supreme Court is a First Amendment case. The ones that are not are Fourth Amendment cases, okay? They're about search and seizure because the school is acting as a state actor, and so they're subject to the Constitution. If you remove those barriers, if you make it so that the school is no longer a state actor, you get to remove the First and Fourth Amendments from schools, which, what does that mean? It means you can search kids' backpacks whenever you want for any reason with absolutely no if, ands, or buts or limitations on it. And it also means that they can't wear shirts that say things like, uh, f- the draft. Or in the Tinker case, they can't wear uh, the old Tinker case from the 80s. That they, they can't wear the armbands protesting anything. Um, bong hits for Jesus, Frederick v. Morse, very popular case from the early 2000s, where they punished a student for holding a sign and said bong hits for Jesus while standing across from the school. Uh, and they were allowed to punish that, that student for that. But there's also other cases that are more important, right? Those are speech cases that are important, but there's also ones that people don't really know about. Hazelwood School District versus Kuhlmeyer, 1988, okay? Schools may censor newspapers and restrict other forms of student expression, including theatrical productions, yearbooks, creative writing assignments, and campaigning graduation speeches, but the court's ruling encourages schools to look closely at the student activity before imposing any restrictions, and to balance the goal of maintaining high standards for student speech with students' rights to free expression. Gone. That'll be gone. It'll be gone forever. Another one is a case that dealt with prayer in school, and it dealt with at a graduation ceremony that they made everybody participate in the prayer. And the Supreme Court said you can't do that. You can't force people to participate. You can pray all you want. You can do all the praying in school that you want to do, by the way. Completely legal to pray in a school. It's not legal to force kids to listen to religious instruction or force them to be part of a religious ceremony or prayer or anything like that in a school. Gone. Those will be gone. And a lot of people don't care because they think that religion is, is, you know, homogeneous. And it's not, right? It's heterogeneous we live in a pluralistic society, even though, you know, generally Christianity is the chief religion in America. It's still not the only religion. There's still plenty of folks who don't practice it, don't believe it, believe a different religion, are atheistic, agnostic, whatever. There's a ton of different alternatives to that. Those protections will be gone. They will be gone and it will force segregation in society. It will force different religions out of schools or it will force conscription. It will force religious conscription to be a part of the school system. And it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I see it as alarmist almost for me as far as my discipline because it's quite honestly science and that will be one of the first things to go in those new schools. It will be one of those things that you look at it because – and I, and I don't do it. I look at it and say – they are not the same thing. They do not speak the same language. There's one that's talking about metaphysical things. There's the other one talking about physical things. And I make that partition harsh, like a strong line between them. But the thing is, is that other people don't see it that way. They see science versus religion everywhere. Mm -hmm. So if you start doing that and you can kick that out and you start limiting the way that that works, then all of a sudden you have a populace that does not comprehend any data, any application of math, any real argumentation that falls out of language, all of this kind of practical application of how we exist in this real world mm-hmm. vanishes. And all you have is this huge illusion that the world is going to be a different way as long as you believe it so. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can hold on to that, then you can do anything. And if you're raising kids like that, then you're getting rid of critical thinking. Because to me, I look at the way that you question things. Mm-hmm. Science is all built on that. Immediately you start questioning, you go, well, well why? And that's, that's what kids are born to do. Yeah. They question why. They don't question what. Sometimes they ask, like, what is that, dad? What is that, mom? But most of the time, the biggest question that you can't answer is, why is that the case? Right, right. Those are the theories that you have to explain. And I say it like in some of the hourglass science videos, just, it just, and I show these to the kids and they still don't get it. That I say, listen, a law is pointing at something and saying, that's what it is. Yeah. That is a generalization that that is what it is, and it tells me nothing about how it works. But if I have a theory, if I have a theory, it explains how that works. It is the why. And if you can get rid of the why, because you already say, people already say, it's just a theory. Mm-hmm. So it's just a theory. I don't believe it. But they don't understand how strong a theory is in science. Right. Scientific and,
1: theory is, is not just a theory. It's <laughs> not. Right. It's
0: like, <laughs> Why, why is it that we've equated this world with just guess like and, I, and, and it, it works it really works because it lasts almost forever mm-hmm. whenever you use the language of theory and you diminish all the theories that exist it's so easy just to convince somebody that it has no basis in reality mm-hmm. it has everything to do with somebody just whipping up something out of their mind and just taking a wild stab in the dark and that's and that's not what
1: it is it, yeah but the yeah. Thing,
0: the most frustrating thing with me is then I that I beat my head against the wall and I just look at my students when I'm I'm staring at, and it's disbelief because they're doing whatever students do, right? It's the last five minutes of class. And I'm standing there looking and going, You don't understand the power that you have of just asking why, why? again. Yeah. Just ask why again. Yeah. It just, just say why again, motherfucker. <laughs> motherf- <laughs> oh 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 time. God, oh <laughs>
1: It is the most important question. It's the only question that actually matters. Every, every other question stems from it. Why is, is everything? And that's, that's what I teach my students.
0: Alright, well there is the free sample. If you want the rest of our discussion, conversation about how we dig into some of the secrets that we want to work through on The Heartland Pod, as well as how to handle the situations whenever you have someone that comes to you with an argument and you're faced with the challenges of over-explaining. You can join us at the $5 level on Patreon to be an official pod head for $5. You get all kinds of bonus content as far as The Heartland News, Last Call as well as some other things that we're working on to release, including Two Truths and a Lie. At the $10 level, you could become a hardcore pothead, where you get even more, including everything that's there, but also special limited edition merchandise, as well as some other events that are coming up. Or you can be a true progressive for $20. Looking at that, you get all of the previous stuff, as well as some additional things that we're working on diligently. Please consider supporting us so that we can help change the conversation revolving around these issues and share this with someone so the heartland can be put on the map. Thank you and take care.